Yeah, it's my honor. I told told some of you here and Mike that I've your worship team came up last summer and led worship for us once, and then Mike's preached twice at Northwest. I'm like, man. And then you come preach here. I was like, I owe you. I got to get down there. <laughs> and uh, being a pastor, I know when there's a week when I'm not preaching um, because someone's covering, I can work on other leadership stuff. So it's a real gift. I was like, boy, Mike's working like crazy to plant a church, and so I'm happy to do that. And um, I first met Mike in uh, Puyallup. It was uh, one of these network meetings that he's talking about, and I drove all the way down there from Bellingham, and I just thought, I don't know, this is too far. I want to be a part of church planning, and I want our church to be a part of church planning, but we're way, I can't drive down here to connect with these guys. And I sat down at a table right next to Mike, and Mike was like, hey, we're actually doing a network from Maryville of the Border. And I was like, all right, Lord, boom, we're in. So it's, uh, so Northwest is praying for you guys today, my church in Bellingham, Northwest. We've got a little crew here with us that came to from Northwest to come see how you're doing, but we're excited for you guys, excited for your move, and uh, just I'm, the Lord will do. Thank you for being a part of it. You know, it'd be easier to say there's other churches that already have all this stuff going and, and awesome children's whatever with slides, and we have no slides, but you, know, you are doing it, so I appreciate that. So Mike told me you're in the art of neighboring, and I went to the conference on this a few weeks ago with Mike about doing it this summer, and I wanted us to think about barriers to that. I mean, the whole thing is to love your neighbors and to reach out and to connect, and, um, but there's actually barriers. Now, I don't know if this is a true story. I didn't know if this was true, but I've heard this story told multiple times, and then I found a picture on the internet, so I knew it was actually true then. Um, <laughs> I've heard the story, I've heard it from both a man or a woman, but the story of someone in a boat, they got a little a speedboat, and they are going, and then they pull into a marina, and they're like, this new boat doesn't work. I can't get up to the plane, you know, the boat kind of sits in the water, when you punch it, they'll come up and ride, they, they, I can't get up to plane, I can't get going, and they pull into a marina, and, um, and they're like, what's going on? Now look carefully at that picture. Look carefully at the nose of the picture. What do you see under the boat? Can you just see what's, what's in the front of the boat? What do you see? What is that something? Who knows? Come on, who's launched a boat? Anchor. Not the anchor. The trailer. The boat is on the trailer. Do you see that's the winch? That's the winch. Do you see the yellow straps that are actually strapping it? That boat is on the trailer. You can just see the silhouette of the hitch going out in the front. What's wrong with this boat, right? Well, there's nothing wrong with the boat. Somebody just, well, let's just unhitch it and roll it into the water. They launched the boat with the trailer on, and you're going to drag, and you're not going to be able to turn, and it is going to be a mess, right? You, can't, you, you cannot get up to speed dragging the trailer. It might be easier at the launch place. You just hook it back up. But anyways, the art of neighboring, if you're going to actually know your neighbors, out to your neighbors, love your neighbors. If this church is going to do that, and that's part of who you are, it won't work if you're dragging a trailer. It won't work. You're, you're trying to be the speedboat. And in church plan, I liken you to like a speedboat. My church is 127 years old. We're like an aircraft carrier. So when we say turn, like it turns much later. So you guys are like, let's turn now. Let's go to a new, oh, we're going to school. We're there. But you're not going to go, Dragging a trailer. There's something underneath. So I want to talk about what's underneath, what's dragging under the boat. 
All right, she's on it. Okay. And um, what's under there? And I, this came from a, kind of an interesting discovery of, uh, just keep it on that one there, of something, and, and this is how it goes. When, there's a weird thing that happens to me after I preach. Okay, I've been the pastor at Northwest, 11 years as senior pastor, and so I'll come home, I'll preach, and this is what happens. And I'm a kind of a sound effect person. So I preach, and I come home, and especially in the fall, and I eat, and then I eventually make my way down. I have a bean bag that's just this giant one. You know, it's called the Big Daddy. I just shove it down the stairs. I have this massive bean bag. I get in the bean bag. If it's in the fall, I turn on football. And, uh, and then I'll start replaying things that I said, things that I preached, things that are my sermon. And I make this sound. I go, <clears throat> and I just grunt and ah, and I'm reviewing what I said, and I'm like, that was horrible. Or I don't even I don't even know why. Actually, I don't even know why. I just know mm, there's something. It's like a guttural feeling of ick of like, and I'll think this. Why do they come back? Maybe they won't come back. Why do they listen to me? Maybe they won't listen to me anymore. I, I've, I'm thinking this, and I'm, re- oh, no, that line should have been down here, and if I really, oh, I should have captured that point, and I should this all just, and then I'm like, stop, just watch the game, just watch the game. And, um, and, I, and I couldn't put my finger on, why, what is that about? Why do I feel that? It's not a pleasant, it's not like a happy feeling. I don't ever listen back to my own sermons. I'm like, yeah, you're kind of nasally, and so I don't do that. I don't film. So what is it? It's this whole issue of shame and vulnerability. Shame and vulnerability. And I, I couldn't put my finger on it, but that's, that's what I was feeling. That's what I still feel. Like even, even driving down, Eric drove me down today, and I was like, don't review, just talk to Eric. And we were playing the sign game as we were driving down. But, um, <clears throat> but that's what's going on. And so I got, I got it from this gal, Brene Brown. You guys heard of her? Heard up TED Talks? Have you ever heard of TED Talks? If you look her up, she did two TED. It's like five or six years ago. I'm kind of behind technology. You can see I'm carrying this giant HP. I know it's not a Mac product at all. I'm kind of behind. But I came across these TED Talks, and she did a couple. She's written several books on shame and vulnerability. I don't, she's not a believer or anything, but she's put her finger on something. I'll show you how it connects to the scriptures. It says, "Shame is the fear of disconnection." Is there something about me that if other people know it or see it, won't, I won't be worthy of connection? I wouldn't be accepted. I wouldn't be loved. I wouldn't be wanted. It's a shame. Shame boils down to worthiness. I'm unworthy, unlovable. I'm bad. I'm dirty. I'm the mistake. And that's, it was like, oh. It clicked in. When I've preached a sermon, I'm not just communicating the Bible. I'm not just urging you to do something. I'm not just planning our next whatever we're doing at church. I'm putting something of Ryan up there. Ryan's on the stage. Ryan, and, and when I get done preaching, even though I know I'm preaching for the Lord and it's all about the Lord, I like desperately search um, my wife's eyes. Was that okay? She always says it is. So that's good. It may never be okay, but she tells me to. But then like, I, I like, crave that to tell me it's okay. Because it's not that the sermon is okay. I want to know, am I okay? Am I worthy of that? Am I worthy of people's connection? And it's hard to separate 
our worthiness from what we do. I think probably it's a lot more for guys maybe, but maybe not. I don't know. Maybe it's for everybody. But just that sense, when you feel a sense of shame inside, you think there's something wrong with me. Guilt is I did something wrong, right? And then you should feel bad about that. No. But um, guilt is I did something wrong. Shame is I'm wrong. I'm defective. So when you're vulnerable, you're putting the real you out there. You're going to go and actually try to talk to your neighbor about their name. And then you actually talk to your neighbor and say, hey, we're doing a barbecue. You're putting yourself out there. What if they hate me? What if nobody comes? What if they do come and they hate me? Like it escalates. It's the same if you're trying to find a new job. What if they reject me? It's the same, like, what if, what if Emmaus Road doesn't make it? Well, have we been failures? Like, you know, you're putting something of yourselves and some new one comes in each week. Oh, are they going to come back? Right? You're vulnerable. You're putting you out there. And so if we have a sense of shame, we won't, we won't put ourselves out there, right? Shame resists being vulnerable. We don't want other people to find out or to confess of shame. We don't even want to back it up. You don't even need help. Like, I don't need help feeling that. It's just, it's in there. And so it resists being vulnerable. It resists being real. And so there might be a pseudo relationship, a pseudo or a false church, a false reaching out. And um, it's not going to work, right? Are people going to sniff it out? Have you had ever, ever had anybody be fake with you? They're probably selling you something, right? You know, like if you're going, you're buying a car, or you're getting a new phone or whatever, like, I don't know if this guy's telling the truth. But um, people, they're going to sense that. So if you're actually going to do it, if you're actually going to reach out, if you're actually going to love, we've got to deal with this issue. What's, why do I feel that? Why do I feel that? And if, if we're going to reach to our neighbors, we're going to have to be vulnerable. And so it's like, well, if I'm either going to do this or I'm not, am I going to do it as a real, authentic thing or I'm not? So let me show you that's in the Bible. We got First John up there. You want to get First John? This is in the Bible. This is not psychology. You guys are going, man, you brought like Oprah's friend down here, Mike. What do you do? This is not Oprah. This is in the Bible. You see it in First John. First John 3.19. He says, by this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart. Reassure, reconfirm our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Writing way back, your heart can condemn you. No one else is telling me, Ryan, I hated your sermon, and you're ridiculous, and you should you know, just go to work as a flagger this summer. Nobody's telling me that. I feel it, my heart, my own self, saying, oh, tell me, why are they listening to you? Oh, what? So it's, it's in here. We know that we're of the truth. There's a way to reassure our hearts because our heart will condemn us. And if you're really going to reach out, if you're really going to love, if it's going to be an authentic, if Emmaus Road is going to be an authentic church that welcomes people into authentic community and you're going to love, you can't be doing it from a place of we're pretending. Or, and, and, and you won't really be vulnerable with people if you feel shame. Right? Your heart will condemn you. So we've got to kind of deal that with that. So that's why I put, why are we talking about this? First one is that shame will sink your boat. Just you as an individual. If you don't deal with a sense of unworthiness, it will sink your own boat and shame will sink your ability to love your neighbors because it won't actually be authentic. And I don't know if you've gotten to some of this stuff in the art of neighboring, but they talk a lot about if people sense that they're a program, if people sense that you're networking them, 
If it's a trick, why they're going to sniff that out. I sniff that out. I'm always this wise, that guy saying this, what's that neighbor really want from me, you know? So we got to get to real vulnerability. So with the first one, shame will sink your boat. 2 Corinthians 7.10, it says, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. All right, we got that? So godly grief. So there's two kinds of ways when you look in and you say, I'm not liking when it's here. I feel unworthy. I feel something's wrong with me. I'm the problem. So you look in, and there's a sense when you look in and you're, there's something wrong, and there's godly grief, and you say, I'm going to do something about it. And then there's a kind of grief where you don't doubt it, and it produces death. Let me just see where I'm going here. So, um, Because here's the issue with shame. If you have shame underneath, if you have a sense of unworthiness, if you're like me and you writhe around in my giant beanbag thinking about just what I said at a church where people typically like me there, at least as far as I know they do. Um, what, what do we need a relief for that. You, you don't want that. I don't like it. And so typically our, our ways we find relief are unhealthy ways. They manifest in extreme control. I'm going to control everything. It can go all the way as far as you know, OCD. Like I'm just going to control everything. It can manifest itself in an eating disorder. A lot of eating disorders are masked. It's this extreme desire to control something because you feel out of control. It can mask itself in a million addictive behaviors, right? Because you, you want a relief from that sense of shame. You want it gone. You want it off of you. And so you'll find a relief. And so you feel shameful, and then you'll say, okay, well, if I just... Do like for me, I always turn to food, so I'll, I'll overeat and I'll eat bad things. Some people will turn to a substance. I turn to drinking. Uh, the one in this culture is the um, internet and viewing adult content on the internet is huge, capturing tons of our men and gals. Growing problem the longer you are. So shame seeks a relief. Typically, the relief is an unhealthy one. We'll do something, control addictive behaviors, something that's a problem. And then you feel bad about it. You know that's, I not only feel bad, but now I've done bad. And so a worldly grief leads to death. I failed God. I failed the church. I can't get this straight. And then you either plunge into it. You just turn away from the Lord Jesus. You turn away from your faith. It's an addiction that ends up taking you. It just owns you. Or there's a grief (laughs) where you... Turn to the Lord Jesus. But, so I just want us to, if, if the reason I wanted you guys to think about this, if you're going to move forward, people, you've got to know what's dragging. We've got to be honest with what's under the boat. We've got to be honest with shame and deal with it in a godly way, or it's going gonna, it's gonna to bring this death. So I got Romans 6.15 up here to show what happens. If you have a sense of shame and you try to relieve the shame with any kind of act, activity to let the pressure off, This is what happens. So in Romans 6.15, he says, What then? Are we to sin because we're not under law but under grace? Well, by no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin to death or of obedience which leads to righteousness? 
So it's not just a matter of you've made a bad choice and now it's messed up your family and your life. It's a matter of when you're free in Christ and you give yourself to something, that something is now your master. And since shame and vulnerability seeks a release, we often find a release in something that's not healthy, and it goes from something that's not healthy to a new master. And there's only one master that frees you. All other masters shackle you and own you and kill you, right? So he's saying, hey, you can't give yourself to this. Or you're of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin, obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching that you were committed, and have been set free from sin, you've become slaves of righteousness. So I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. Thank you, Paul. He's like, you actually aren't very smart, so I'm going to make it easy for you. Um, it says, for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. And that's this sort of addictive cycle of behavior. You feel bad, you seek a release, typically the release is an unhealthy pattern, then you feel guilty, which makes you feel more ashamed, so you seek another release, and it's a downward spiral of addictive behaviors. Whatever it is, I mean, it could be just play video games till five in the morning, numbing your mind, or it could be a chemical, it could be whatever it is, but it leads to more of it. It's never like, well, I just do it a little bit. You can't control it. It'll destroy your own life. It'll kill any chance to be a neighbor reaching out. So he says, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Like you didn't have it. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become God, the fruit that you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. He just sort of reasons with us. What? Is what's happening for you? Is whatever thing you're involved in, is it helping you? What fruit were you getting from it? Is it helping you? So my church is probably tired about me always talking about overeating. And that's just always where I turn. Now, everybody has different things, but that's where I turn. And I don't know how many times I like do something, eat a ton of terrible food. Like three hours later, I'm moaning on the couch. And then they go, but what fruit were you getting from the things? Like, why am I doing this to myself? This isn't helping anyone. I don't feel good. It's not helping my life. It's not helping. It's making more shame and guilt. And those things are death. So for whatever it is, it just, it's not bringing fruit into your life. So that's the first one. When you have a sense of shame, it seeks a release. The release is typically an unhealthy pattern that enslaves you. Now, I don't know this church. Mike didn't secretly call me and say, I've got... 16 people that are addicted to this, Ryan, come be, he didn't do that. I'm just knowing me as a person, us as humans, we're, we're creatures that get stuck. Okay, we get stuck. So that's the first one. Shame will personally sink your boat. You will become enslaved. You're free in Christ and you're enslaved to other things. And the second one I have here is that the shame will actually sink your love for neighbors. Matthew ten sixteen it says, Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. It's actually really hard to go out and love your neighbors. And it's going to be like 10 times as hard if you've got a problem. I just tell you, this is, 
This stuff's really close to my heart. When we bought our house, we bought a new house about nine years ago, and um, we were the first house on our street. So it was like our house and this huge field. And it was beautiful because we had two dogs and they could just go wherever and I didn't have to be responsible for dogs, you know what I'm saying? And then as neighbors moved in, I was like, hey, I'm going to have to rein these dogs in. So anyways, we made it our mission to greet every new neighbor who moved in. That was our thing. And so we know them and we meet them and there's this one house on my street. There's this lady lives by herself. She's very strange, like super bumper sticker all over in the back of the Subaru. You, you can visualize that. And um, so she's got that, and she lives by herself, and she has a dog that's a mean dog. It's bitten people. It's, like, terrifying. She can't control it. So no one on the neighborhood likes her. But for some reason over the years, I've mowed her lawn. I mean, the lawn, it's not even, it's barely bigger than this carpet. So I've just mowed her. One time she came out, do you, she's like, are you looking for money or a job? I was like, no, I got a job. I'm just mowing your lawn. All right, and she went back in. It wasn't like creating this relationship, so she's kind of weird. She doesn't come out. I don't really want her to come out because the dog would eat me. He's like barking at me when I'm mowing the lawn. And um, so we do this big neighborhood Easter egg hunt. And we have this common area right in front of our house, and it's filled with they're plants that the builder planted, but they're evil plants. They're thorny and... Um, <laughs> So the kids run through there, like they're going to get shredded. You know, when they first plan, they're little, but so I just said, we're going to weed this out before an Easter egg hunt. So I start weeding and then just ripping these. By this time, they're huge with thorns. I don't know what, so I'm pulling them out and she comes out and she's mad. She's like, what are you doing? I said, oh, I'm, I'm just weeding this. We're going to do the egg hunt in another week. She's like, well, you can't do that. I'm like, well, I'm just, you know, neighbor, all the neighbors are invited. And then there's this broken basketball hoop that's kind of tipped over. And she's like, well, I want that basketball hoop out of here. So well, it's actually not my basketball hoop. I don't know. I can't throw away some. I need. Can't kids shouldn't play here? And she was all upset. And so she's like, "Well, you can't be doing this." Like I'm just weeding and I'm making it nice for the kids. She's like, "I'm calling the police." I was like, "Oh, okay." I've actually had the police called on me twice in my life. Both times were landscaping related. <laughs> it's very strange. So the cop comes. Like he actually comes and he pulls down and there's, I got a little red Ford pickup. It's mounded with the stuff I've been tearing out. So, I mean, I'm not hiding. He comes up and he's like, well, I got the police. He's like, what's going on here? Well, I'm just weeding this common area. And he could see, he was just like, "Uh, I got called out to respond to you because you're weeding a common area. I was like, yeah. He's like, "Uh." so he goes and talks to the lady. I don't know what happens. I have no idea. He leaves. (laughs) But here's what's the challenge. Here's why I told you that whole story. She is the subject of all the neighbors' talk, right? And it's not, I mean, she does have an out-of-control dog. She's the police on me for weeding the common area. But it is so hard not to enter that gossip. It is so, and I've, I've mowed her lawn some. Even when she was mad at me, I was like, do you, you know I mow your lawn, right? You know, she's like, yes, like, <laughs> And so anyway, um, so I've mowed it some, though sometimes she's hired. So I hasn't, wasn't like, well, that's the last time I mow for you. But it's so hard not to enter in. Even just the other day, I met a new neighbor and she just launched in. Yeah, and that's the lady. And it's so hard to not enter the gossip. It's so hard to say, I need to love her. It's so hard to just say, I'm just going to mow. It's so hard. It's so hard. Because, oh, you're, it's double hard when you are the pastor. Like you, you guys could just say, like, well, I just work at 
you know, Zodiac. I'm like, oh, okay, you just work at Zodiac. But if I say I work at Northwest Baptist Church, they're like, Northwest, and it's Baptist, and we live in the Pacific Northwest. You're like, so there's no hiding that. But um, if we're going to go out and love our neighbors, it's hard, right? I tell you, it's hard. And those scenarios are going to come up. You're going to get in weird relationships and weird situations and weird this. And Jesus said, I'm sending you out as sheep amidst wolves. We can't, we can't be wolves. You're not attacking. You can't jump in on the things people do. You can't jump in on the things people say. And if, <laughs> tied to all this, you're going out either hiding or you're going out hoping to gain a sense of value from doing it, it's just even harder. Right? It's just harder. That's why he says that we need to have our hearts reassured by Jesus and not condemned we're not going to make it. I mean, I don't, that's just like a silly thing. I don't know what other entanglements you're going to get in reaching out to actually love people. But we, if you're not secure, it's not going to work. So we'll be afraid to be a vulnerable. You won't do it, or you'll be inauthentic and a hypocrite. That's, that's what I'm getting at. If they're like, oh, yeah, you're the pastor and you love the kids, but you gossip just as much about the crazy neighbor... Who definitely might be crazy, I don't know. But still, like, I got to shut it down. I got to say we got to love her still. It's so hard. So that's, that's the urgency, I guess, underneath this. That's why I'm talking about, like, this kind of a heavy topic. Yes, because it's hard, because the gospel's at stake. This is real lives. So here's the key. Here's the take home. When you're free from shame, you're free to love, and Christ makes us free. That you, the idea of preaching to yourself is so, you just have to constantly do it. So I chose Ephesians 2. You just need some go to passages. Room, you're like, well, I've never even heard of this before. So this might be your first time going, okay, this is, this is what Christianity is. It's not just Jesus died and I go to heaven. Okay, this, let's, let me just read this. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. That's where we start in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's everybody starts in the same place. Right? We do what we want, <laughs> we follow the course of the world, whatever, the, whatever our body says, whatever the enemy says, and we're just under the wrath of God. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we are dead in our trespasses, that's the key you got to get. That's the key you got to get. Not, okay, clean up your act, kind of get going, and then God will do some stuff for you. No, even... When we're dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. Most people stop there. Yeah, I'm saved by grace. I go to heaven when I die. But we view our life like this. Like, well, really, I'm not that good. I'm still carrying a lot of shame and guilt. Save me and I'll go to heaven. But he'd really like me to sit over there. Like, oh, you're saved. But you go in the corner. You're substandard. You're not. That's, we can feel that. Maybe it's just me. So you can't stop at verse 5. You've got to go to verse 6. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus 
so that in the coming ages he might show us the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. It's not just by grace you've been saved. It's that he put you in the seat next to his son. And he says, I'm loving on you now with salvation. In the coming ages of forever, you don't even know how much kindness I'm going to dump on you. It's not just you and you kind of were okay, and, but that's your section. I want you right here with my son who gets all glory and praise due to his name. And you're going to be there. And the, when we're in Christ, he dumps the immeasurable, right? immeasurable, can't measure it, riches of his grace and kindness. We haven't even begun to taste Christ. Just sitting here worshiping with you, some songs. You did, you did a song that I used to leave when I did youth group, Scott. With the uh, Give Us Clean Hands. Like, oh, that's cool. And um, I, Pure Hearts. But we don't even know how good it's going to be. I was feeling the grace of God while you guys are singing. I haven't, we haven't tasted it yet. We're still here and we're still struggling. He says, boy, you, when you get there, it won't just be sit. It'll be sit by my son so I can dump immeasurable kindness upon you. That's the gospel. Not just I've saved you, but I've saved you because I want you. I want you, right? Shame is I'm not worthy of love. The gospel says, actually, <laughs> you are more than worthy. You're worthy of the love that only my son is due. So you've got to have a verse like that that you continually go to. This is who I am. I'm not that. Then uh, Hebrews 12, this gives us the picture. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses... Let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely. Isn't you know, it's like jumping in a pool with a shirt on it. It suctions to you and you can't, right? Get that off and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, <laughs> who for the joy that was set before him, this is a great, what's the joy? What joy was before Jesus? The joy that was said before him. So was it the joy of pleasing his father? He always pleases his father, right? That's not going to be new. The joy of going to the cross. I don't know if the joy, the cross isn't the joy. What's the joy that was said before Jesus? Bring home his kids, right? <laughs> the lost family. I'm going to bring home my, the joy is to have us. He's always had the joy of the father, since before time began. What he didn't have was the joy of his lost kids stuck in sin. So for the joy, he's going to the cross. The joy on the other side of the cross is I get to bring my family home. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. I underlined this, despising the shame. It wasn't that the cross made you dead. It was that it humiliated you. You were naked. You're stripped naked. He's beaten his own blood And it's the most shaming thing. Like, how can we not only kill you, but make you feel in the process? How can we dehumanize you in the process? So to put Jesus on the cross, it was like, this will kill you and shame you. If they just wanted him dead, they could have done a John the Baptist, cut his head off in jail. It's over, right? There was no shame in that. No, I want you to be alive. And you're alive for a long time. That's why they're kind of surprised. Like, oh, he's already dead? He should hang up there for a long time. So they find the most shameful way to strip you and mock you and hang you up. And then all the people are shaming him, right? You said you could come down. You said, right? How much shame are they dumping on him? And what does Jesus Despises the shame. Won't touch me. Despises the shame. 
It's not going to shame me. Father, for the joy of my people coming home, the joy of my children coming home, it's not going to shame me. It's not going to shame me. And that has to be our hope. When I'm writhing around just after one sermon, I have to say, you know, Jesus took all that shame. He thought us worthy of his love. He thought us worthy. And so if Jesus thought me worthy and forever and ever and ever, he wants to dump grace and kindness on me in heaven. Who, I can love somebody. I could love poorly. I could do a terrible job at it. And it doesn't matter. And it doesn't matter because it's not about my shame. It's not a, he takes it away. He despised it. He died for it. He absorbed a shame you will never experience. When you come and someday you stand before God the Father, there's no shame there. He doesn't say, what are you doing here? How did you get in here? No. He's like, welcome. Welcome. The shame has already been paid for. So let me bring it together. When you're freeing from, when you're free from shame, you're free to love, and Christ makes us free. We have to constantly, constantly, constantly preach that truth to yourself. It's just all the time. You need those passages like Ephesians 2. You need to go to Hebrews 12. You need to, whatever they are, you need to have a little saying, put a pop-up timer in your phone. Oh, Jesus loves me. Good. That was a good reminder. Three seconds later. Good. Okay. Whatever you need. It's constant focus on the truth that he wants you forever. He took your shame forever. It's, It's not about what you do. It's not about what you do. All your neighbors could hate you. You could toast the chicken entirely. It's just nuked on the grill. It's a total failure. And he loves you. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Right? So we have to have a constant focus on the truth. And um, that gives us our identity. The second thing is to really, we have to come clean to Christ. Trying harder doesn't work. Whatever the struggle Whatever for your shame is, you go, okay, he talked about some serious stuff at church that one day. Mike, don't ever invite that guy back. Um, you just can't say, okay, this time I'm really going to stop. It doesn't, it's just like a noose. Or, you know, those Chinese finger traps, you ever done that? You put your fingers in all the way, and then they're at the dollar store, kids. It could come in handy as a fun thing at school. Anyways, still I'm a pastor told you to do that. Um, you just pull and pull and pull, and the noose gets tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter. You can't, you can't grit your way out of whatever mess it is. You can't. It has to continually be, that's not. It has to be, I've crucified with Christ. That old identity died. It's a continual, who am I? Who am I? Who am I today? I'm the beloved chosen one of Christ that forever he wants to dump kindness on me. That's who I am. His shame, my shame's taken the cross. I'm not in shame. And only in that freedom do you begin to say, I'm actually free to not do whatever I do to act out of guilt and shame. I'm actually free to not do that because it's not going to release me. What releases me is to know who I am in Christ, his beloved, chosen child of God that he wants forever, forever. So when you're free from shame, you're free to love. Christ makes us free. I have this in quote. What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? If ever my dad heard us say that as kids, like, we don't say that. Right? My dad was pretty mild, pretty mellow, but certain times if we did certain things, he had like dad voice. Some of you dads have a dad voice maybe. You're like, eh, don't do that. Right? It just kind of... Uh, 
if we ever said, hey, what's wrong with you? We don't say that. He would get very upset. And be, you know, like if you do something, like <laughs> I was just telling, we got a fairly newer vehicle here. It's the, the nicest vehicle we've ever had. We got this Yukon. It's amazing. And I came around the corner and my eight-year-old son's job is to vacuum it. And there's about this long, an X. It's a dark charcoal gray and it's down to the white. And I was like, did you do this? You know, he's like, I just wanted to see. And he's like, and then he's like, I don't deserve to live. And he's like all emotional. He's like, okay, it's okay, it's okay. But I didn't say, what's wrong with you, right? I just, well, why did you do that? We'd like to keep this nice car nice. And I had that conversation. But there's something about that question that gets to the shame. I'm defective, therefore I do defective things. And my dad's like, you, we don't say that. He had a alcoholic dad and that was like his line. What's wrong with you? Why don't you do this? So he's like, we don't say that line. What's wrong? It's not what's wrong with you. Jesus didn't die for people that he thought, I don't I want to shame. When we make, he's not up in heaven going, what's wrong with you? Why are you still on that problem? No, that's not, that's not his phrase. It's not what he says. He says, I love you. <laughs> Let me help you. I love you. I want to see you walk in freedom. I love you. You are worthy of the blood of my son. This phrase, don't let it be part, it'll even get into my own self-talk. Oh, I'm terrible. Stop that talk. Focus on the truth. You're new in Christ. You're loved in Christ. Forever he wants you. Forever he wants you. So some kind of some questions. What are you dragging under the boat today? What are you dragging? I just got to see what my other one is. Okay. Yeah. What are you dragging under the boat? I don't, maybe you guys are solid. And you're like, Mike teaches us this every week. He should have alerted you to this so you'd do a more poignant sermon. But um, I just put that out there. You know, Mike talked about cards there. There may be something and someone needs to put it on a card. Like, Mike, I need to talk. Or Scott or one of the, maybe one of the gals. And you need to reach out to another guy. I need to talk. Some of you could be dragging serious stuff. It's serious and so I, I, I just I told Mike, we'd talk about this. I don't know if you need a phone call, a coffee meeting this week. Oh, man, I'm, I'm, this is the way I try to alleviate my sense of shame, and I do it in this way, and I'm in trouble, and I need help. I encourage you to do that. You could just write it on one of those cards. Give me a call. You don't have to write what it is. You know, Just give me a call or have your wife give me a call or whatever. But this is not, he, he set us free. We're free in Christ and he made us whole and he wants us and he wants us to live in freedom and, and he doesn't want us to bear a sense of shame. We were worth it for him to die for us. You see, he doesn't say what's wrong with you. He says, I love you. I love you. And when you feel a sense of shame, then you act out and it just drives you further and further and further away from the truth. So what's under there? What are you dragging that you want to deal with this, this week, this month? And the other issue is just being vulnerable. Being vulnerable. When you have a sense of this is who I am in Christ, and I'm taking my, my fears and my sins to him, and he's made me free, and I walk in the freedom, not trying harder, just focusing on who I am, then you can actually be vulnerable. You could go to 33 neighbors' houses, and they could all look at you as weird. You might say, all right. I mean, Jesus has some verses. Have you done the one about... Shake the dust off your feet. Is that next week? That's next week. Okay, All right? Jesus said, if you go to a town and they don't receive you, you keep going. People are not, some people are like, no, I'm not going to your church, whether it's at 2 o'clock or 9.30. Like, okay, just keep going. But 
they nailed him to a cross, right? It's not about that's where you're going to find identity. That's going to make you feel better about yourself. It won't work. Or you're going to, have, you're going to weed someone's yard and be in jail. You're like, well, maybe Ryan will come visit me as a landscaping felon. And, um, but just the sense, if you're free in Christ, you're free to love, you just, just go for it. Go say hi to somebody. There's also, you know, and it, some of you might have that barrier where, like, I asked that guy his name 16 times and I can't remember. You just go for it. Be like, all right, I forgot your name. I'm just going to say hi. But because that's not your value. Your value is in Christ. And it'll just free you up. And when you're actually vulnerable, are you, aren't you hungry for it? Do you love when people talk to you and they're like, this is who I am. You know, this is the good and the bad. And you're like, that's real. People are going to be drawn to that. Like, how can you be so vulnerable? How come you're so real? How are you getting through this? Why does your family work different? And it opens a door because you're not faking, you're not selling, you're not tricking. Like, ha you're at the barbecue. But really, you know, I'm going to make, no, you're just, this is who we are. This is who we are. This is who we are. So uh, let me pray and then turn it back over to the team here. Lord Jesus, I just thank you for who, who you are in our lives the one who despised the shame. You took all the shame to the cross for the joy of us. I just pray on uh, this room, Lord. I don't know what's under the water. People are dragging. They're in a speedboat dragging a trailer, and it's just not getting up. Some people might have serious, lifelong, buried wounds that they feel a spiral of shame. And could today they have the courage just to take a step towards you, to take a step towards reaching out for some help, to realize that no matter how much we've done and how far we've gone, you want to dump kindness on us for all eternity, and you want to see us walk in freedom, and that you would never say what's wrong with you. You just say, I love you. The Emmaus Road community, as they put themselves out there. They're going to say hi to neighbors. They're going to be in their yards and just that they would find their total assurance from you and they could just be real people saying, hey, we're, we're kind of messed up too, but we found the source of hope in Jesus and it would draw people. And I, I pray a blessing on their move. Would you just let that, that the facility work beautifully? The, all the bugs, there's all kinds of bugs to work out, I'm sure. Just let all the bugs come come together, let people be drawn to it, that this summer they'd see a a connection of people longing to connect to Jesus, longing for their realness and vulnerability. Would you do a powerful in Emmaus Road? Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.